Lord through some songs this morning and give you some announcements. So I, I will warn you, I, I have several. So I will, uh, I timed it earlier. I did it under three minutes. So let's see if I can do that. Um, although a couple of them were added in like the last 30 seconds. Um, number one, Sunday school, our adult Bible study, uh, tentatively starting in a couple weeks. Okay, so uh, we will keep you posted. The topic, uh, spiritual gifts. Keep that in mind. Two weeks. Uh, Thursday, May 6th, so that's this coming Thursday, um, is uh, National Day of Prayer. Um, and this is a kind of a, an annual thing uh, where people of different faiths are encouraged to, uh, to pray for the nation. And uh, Steve and Susan Patton, they normally sit in, in the back, but uh, they have, uh, are opening their home uh, this Thursday evening at 6 for some time of prayer. And uh, if, uh, but also we will send a, a, a Zoom link out as well. Uh, so keep an eye on that through the newsletter uh, this week. Uh, and by the way, um, uh, and this week I will be sending out uh, a couple of different uh, newsletters. One is a typical newsletter. The other one will be just kind of a bunch of just information and dates to keep in mind. And so make sure that you keep an eye on your email. Uh, read the newsletters, and if you are not a part of that email distribution, uh, would you, uh, just two options. One, you can let uh, Leslie Gibson know, so if you could raise your hand, she's right down here, um, or just talk to me, give me an email address, and we'll make sure you're part of that, uh, the email distribution. And next one is uh, May 8th, uh, here at the church, uh, we'll have a men's breakfast. That'll start at 7.30 a.m. Uh, and go till about 9 a.m. Uh, so the men have been going through a, a, a book study and to kind of uh, celebrate uh, having a breakfast. If you haven't been a part of that men's Bible study, that's okay. You are still more than welcome uh, to come uh, to that breakfast. It should be a really good time. Uh, I'll be sharing something that has just been really dear to my heart, uh, something that's become really important to me that I want to encourage uh, families in our church to do, and that's with regards to family worship. So I want to just uh, encourage uh, our men just to, uh, to, to think about family worship. Why do we do it? Uh, what does it look like? And why is it so important? And also on that same weekend, May 8th, uh, there's a women's fellowship event. Uh, that'll be at 1 to 2.30 p.m. here at the church. Uh, May 22nd, uh, it's a spring cleanup, 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Uh, so keep that in mind. And then May 30th, uh, we will have uh, a, a special members meeting. Uh, so I mentioned before that I'd like to talk a little bit more about the school that I'd like to, to open. I will share more information uh, this week via newsletter. But the other thing I want to cover in that meeting is to potentially bring some new members uh, uh, into the church. So that's all I have. I have no idea if that was under three minutes. I apologize. But let's go to the Lord and let's worship him this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. We're good. Our church, let's stand and... Um, well, we'll start us off with a call to worship, which is just a time for us to, uh, uh, to just meditate on God's word uh, to prepare our hearts for worship. Um, so today's call to worship is out of Psalm 9, verses 7 through 10. This is God's word. It says, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold. For the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Amen. And with that, let us sing. 
In the darkness. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope and without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. From the throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the dirt. Together, praise the Father and praise the Father and praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings. To reveal. to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross, for even in your suffering you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake you died. Yes, Lord, and that's why we worship Him. Let's sing praise. And praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Till the stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. Yes, he and the dead rose from their grave, tombs and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. So much truth in those words. Let's sing to him. Let's sing praise the Father. Praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Praise the Father, praise the Father, praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three 
Jesus, God. We worship you, Lord. Praise the Father. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. Hold me fast, and he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Yes, we will. Those he saves. He saves our his delight. Christ will hold me fast, precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. For my life, for my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast, and he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. built 
singing and praise him. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Only your name, Father. Christ. Christ alone. Cornerstone. Weak made strong in the Savior's Father, for you are deserving of your glory, of your worship. Let us do that well today, Lord, now, through your word as well. May you be glorified in all things. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Amen. I'm going to read to us. 
from Romans 1, 16 and 17 before we go into a time of prayer. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the, the divine architect of the gospel. In your holy and inspired word, we read from the very beginning of how the first man and the first woman sinned against you and transgressed your commandments. And yet we also read that someone will one day come to crush the head of the serpent. Lord, and we stand here today knowing that that someone is Jesus Christ. Your gospel is the, salma- the, the, the message of salvation that has destroyed the works of the devil and has saved us unto eternal life. And for this reason and many more, Lord, we come before you this morning to worship you and to honor you and to praise you. Lord, those who are righteous by faith in Christ live by faith. Lord, please give us the grace to do all that you command. Help us to live by faith and not by sight. Lord, protect us from legalism. Protect us from works-based mentality. God, we pray and ask that you would forgive us for those moments or perhaps days when we have trusted in our own works instead of the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit that comes from abiding in Christ that results in godly and righteous living. Jesus, we pray this morning for our brother Jack Copeland and we pray that your sustaining grace would abide with him each and every single day. Lord, we pray and ask that you would encourage him through the message of the gospel. We pray also for our sister Marge Crossman, and God, we ask that you would give her wisdom as she continues to make difficult decisions. We pray and ask that you would renew her strength each day and help her to hang on to Christ. Lord, and we pray for her daughter, and we ask, God, that you would mightily, that you would powerfully save her through the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for all those in our church who are sick, for those who are in times of struggle. We pray for those who may be experiencing joylessness. God, would you renew their hope in Christ? Would you strengthen your people to endure Restore to them, God, the joy of your salvation. Grant healing and relief to those who need it. Lord, you are holding them fast. Help them to believe it and help their unbelief. God, we pray for our sister Reshma. Lord, give her rest from her semester. 
We pray that you may guide her steps and direct her path as she continues her studies and seeks direction, Lord, with regards to future missions and ministry. Lord, we know that her life is in your hands, and we pray and trust that you will do as you will if we know that your ways are best. Provide for her needs, which we know you will do since you have already provided all that she's needed for salvation. We pray that you would increase her joy and delight in following you and in loving your people. Lord, we pray for the saints of New Life Baptist Church. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would overwhelm the saints with the thought of their salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Encourage them with the good news. Increase their hope through the assurances that they have through the finished work of Christ. May they continue to trust in the power of the gospel for their salvation and the salvation of others. Lord Jesus, we pray, God, we pray, we plead, we beg, God, that you would please provide a great revival in New England. Romans reminds us that the gospel itself is the very power of God. So, God, we pray that we might see such power on display in New England. We pray for a great salvation. The word tells us that the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God, would you destroy the works of the devil and restore sight so that people will see the light of Christ. Lord, and increase our boldness as a church and increase the boldness of other churches to preach the gospel so that people might be saved. Lastly, we pray for all those who are retired. God, may they honor you and glorify you in their season of rest. Help them to continue to, to press into the kingdom of heaven through prayer, through the reading of your word, through other literature and media that might encourage their hearts. May they love others well, and may you be glorified as they enjoy the rest that they have worked so hard to earn. Lord, we come before you and we trust you for these things. And we look forward to all that you are going to do. And it is in faith, Lord. And as we join our hearts, Lord, we, we pray also the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please turn to Philippians chapter 2. Reading verses 5 through 11 this morning. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we are commanded in your scriptures to have this mind, to set our minds on this. Lord, and we confess to you this morning that we come and perhaps with so many different things in our minds besides the gospel. So would you help us to set our minds on Christ this morning? Help us, Lord. Would you remove the distractions to remove the thoughts that occupies our minds this morning so that we may give attention to the work of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Elites in ancient Rome used to compete in what was known as the Chorus Honorum, or the Honors Race. It was a race to try to ascend higher and higher and higher on the social ladder, Acquiring for themselves these prestigious positions, trying to find, sort of uh, attain for themselves these, these great positions, these seats of honor. And titles acquired along the way were publicly acknowledged and given by benefactors or those who have a much more honorable position. Now, even among the non-elites, there were also many who competed in this honors race, such as those in, a, in trade associations or even amongst religious groups. In those days, it was your title that was the status symbol. Today in our culture, those status symbols are very different, right? Status symbols today could be anything from the kind of car that you drive to fashion. Status symbols could be even the kind of water bottles that you drink out of, as interesting or as bizarre as that might sound. It could even be determined by your gym membership. This morning, we come to a passage that is really well known for its Christological meaning. It's a passage that throughout church history became the focus of establishing certain things or certain understandings about the person of Jesus Christ. However, if we focus so much on sort of the, the doctrinal theology of the passage, and that is there, and that will be a topic of next week's sermon, but if we focus so much on that, we miss the point, I think, of the passage, which points us to something else. This passage is much more about status and church-centered implications of the status-yielding God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ was also on his own sort of honors race. But while the rest of the world is on this honors race to ascend higher and higher and higher, Jesus is on this honors race that actually goes in the opposite direction. So then, let's talk about 
the passages talk about Christ, the humility of Jesus Christ. The passage says, tells us about Jesus, tells us that he was in the form of God, and then later it tells us that he took the form of a servant, then he was also found in human form. So already the passage is kind of illustrating to us the stark difference, or the stark differences in this one person of Jesus Christ, that he was in the form of God, and at the same time the form of a servant, or the form of a human being. And the form is really talking about his likeness, his appearance. It's telling us, the passage is telling us that Jesus had the likeness of God. So to understand what the likeness of Christ is, then we need to understand what the likeness of God is, because that is the likeness that Jesus is being compared to. And so a couple of passages that really highlight for us the likeness of God himself is Psalm 104, verse 1, which tells us, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Isaiah 6, verse 1, is an incredible picture of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We have one passage that tells us that that the Lord, that God is clothed with splendor, with majesty. And then Isaiah tells us that the Lord is seated high on a throne. So high, in fact, that you would break your neck and to stare up to see the throne of God. And it tells us that the train of his robe filled the temple, displaying his majesty and his dignity, his royalty. Not only that, but there were angels surrounding the throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy. And so this is the picture that we have concerning the likeness of God. And so then what do these passages tell us about the likeness of Christ? That Jesus, well, Christ is in the same likeness of God. It's not to be confused with the likeness that we read in Genesis. We read of the creation of man that tells us, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. In that particular passage, man is created with the likeness of God in the sense that they are called to exercise dominion and rule and govern the entire world. So it's much more concerned about function, but here, this passage is speaking about form. Appearance as telling us that Jesus is robed in the same splendor, in the same majesty of God. As if you took, if you took, say, Caesar, and you took just somebody who wasn't Caesar, take a regular person, right? You could be able to tell who is Caesar and who isn't by perhaps the clothes, the robes that Caesar is wearing, perhaps by the crown that Caesar is wearing that the other person would not be wearing. Easily distinguishable. So Jesus, well, the passage is telling us that Jesus is <laughs> distinguishable from the rest of man because he's clothed in splendor and majesty, the same divinity that God himself wears. So if you put Jesus Christ beside any human being, there would have been a difference of ethic. Cosmic proportions. 
passage is pointing us to the royalty of the divine Son of Man, who has sovereign rule. And so by his, just his outward attire, just by his outward appearance, it would have been absolutely clear that this person is like no other. In Matthew 17, so in the Gospels, we actually have a small picture of this splendor and divinity of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 17, verse 1, it tells us that after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So there's a picture of Jesus Christ clothed with the splendor and majesty that is his. Not because he is just simply pretending to be God and wearing the clothes of God, but because he is God. He is the Lord. So even though Jesus is, in fact, in the form of God and also in the form of a human being, it also tells us in the passage, but he emptied himself. In ancient times, kings were considered to be godlike. So in reading this, this passage, the original hearers of this passage would have immediately understood that Paul is likening Christ to a king. But this king emptied himself. Now what does we mean by emptied himself? That this king did not exploit his status or his prestige or his dignity. He didn't use it for his own purposes. I think of like networking events, like when you have like young professionals go to a particular event for networking, when they try to get to know other young professionals, perhaps to maybe they're a young entrepreneur and they're trying to find the right persons to maybe help promote whatever it is their product is. Or maybe you're trying to get to know the right person to get your foot into the door to the company that you want to work at. And so there's kind of this, this mutual exchange of information for one's own purposes, and that's fine, but what the ultimate purpose is you're looking out for things that will better your current position. Jesus, on the other hand, tells us, tells us that Jesus emptied himself, that he didn't use his royalty, he didn't use his status, he didn't use his divinity in order to fulfill his own purposes, But instead of ascending, he descends. The NIV says, Jesus made himself as nothing. The idea here is that Jesus is lowering his rank. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't speak to Jesus's, Jesus lowering his divinity or giving up any of his power in order to become human. It's actually a heresy. But Jesus is lowering his own rank, which is unthinkable. I mean, imagine, just picture a CEO of a top million-dollar company, the guy who is at the very top of the hierarchy coming down the ladder to become, say, an intern. Right? It's unthinkable. You would never expect that. And yet that's what Jesus is doing. He's lowering his own rank. 
He didn't see his status as something that he would hold on to himself or use it for his own purposes. He didn't use it to try to climb up, perhaps maybe even be higher than God himself, right? Something that the devil attempted to do. But instead of climbing up, he climbed down. And we're told the manner by which he emptied himself. The passage says that he emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a servant. By being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus took the form of a servant. He removed his royal robe and instead put on the rags of a servant. It's like, some of you are familiar with that show, The Undercover Boss. When you have somebody at the top position, in most cases it's kind of dealing with uh, like a somewhat like customer service kind of company, like a restaurant, and that person dresses himself up to become sort of a like a, a regular employee working in the trenches to see the normal operations in one of their branches to see if employees are being treated fairly, to see if there's good or excellent customer service. It's the kind of step that Jesus takes. Although he's not pretending to be a servant, but he actually becomes a servant. Not professionally, not by trade, but he takes on the posture of a servant. He becomes a servant of servants. He becomes a servant of sinners. He took the form, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So the one who had the form of God now also has the form of man. And it is in the form of man that God, the Son, veils his divinity and his royalty, his dignity and his status behind this human flesh. And if you ever wonder what Jesus must have looked like, what was his appearance like as a human being, you don't need to wonder because Isaiah, thousands of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah would tell us what Jesus actually looked like. Isaiah 53 verse 1 tells us, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, that is Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. In other words, Isaiah is telling us that when you look at Jesus, he doesn't have the appearance that you would find on the cover of a GQ magazine. He wouldn't be one that Hollywood would try to recruit and put in a major production because of his handsome appearance. I don't think that necessarily means that Isaiah is saying that he was an ugly individual. I mean, we have very superficial ways of defining what is beauty and what is ugly. But what he's telling us is that when you look at Jesus, when you look at him, when you see his appearance, you're not going to say, this is a king, or this is the son of God, or this is the Messiah. It's not like, it's not like King Saul. Remember, if you read the Old Testament, King Saul, when people wanted a king, they looked at Saul like, oh yeah, this is a king. This man looks like a king. But when you look at Jesus you wouldn't have that reaction. 
He doesn't look like a king, much less like the Son of God. And this is, this is the kind of honors race that Jesus is running. Instead of climbing up, he climbs down. It would have been absolutely foolish to the Romans, and it's absolutely foolish to the world today for sure. But that descent from glory just continues. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. This is Jesus, robed in the dignity, the status of God himself, because he is God. The one who commands respect and obedience is now in a position of obedience. And back then, obedience carries such a social stigma because of the close connections to slavery. So people would often avoid using the word obedience because they were afraid of offending somebody. But here in the passage, unashamedly, it tells us that Jesus, became obedient. Even to the point of death. And not just the point of death, but even death on a cross. So what we have here is this picture of this dramatic descent of Christ. It's telling about the, about the humiliation of Jesus Christ. Humiliation carries the idea that a particular public action decreases one's social capital. So the point is that Jesus, the Son of God, the one dressed in royalty and dignity and majesty, took on the posture of a servant, dressed himself as a human being, came down that ladder and experienced the climactic hell of public humiliation, and that is crucifixion, a death worthy or considered worthy for the most heinous of criminals and a punishment fit for a slave. So are you kind of getting the picture of this descent that Jesus imparts on? This race that goes in this opposite direction of what you and I might normally pursue. But Jesus, instead of staying up there, came down and didn't even come and lived as a king. Didn't even come down here and to amass great status for himself or great wealth for himself and make a name for himself. But instead he came to serve and to die in a humiliating way on a cross to save sinners. And the question is why? Why would he do this? Why did he do this? Again, the prophet Isaiah is helpful. Isaiah 53 says, Surely Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
Jesus experienced the most humiliating and agonizing death so that you and I might be spared of the judgment of God. Jesus endured such humiliation, such an agonizing death, so that you and I might be spared the humiliation and the dishonor of experiencing the judgment and condemnation of God. So that instead of being dishonored, we actually might be honored by God. So that we may receive eternal life with God, so that we may be forgiven of our sins, so that we may be cleansed, healed of our sins. That is why Jesus did it. Mark Jones, in his book, Knowing Christ, a book I would highly commend to you, writes, The Incarnation, speaking of Jesus coming into the world, his life, the Incarnation was, for the Son of God, a humiliation beyond compare. The, the, the Son who thirsted was the same who made water. The Son who was too tired to carry his cross was the same who upholds the entire world. The son whose side was pierced was the same who gave breath and life to the one who did it. The incarnation of the Son of God in this world of sin and misery was truly an act of humiliation. It began at his birth and continued to his death and burial. And it was for your sake. And it was for my sake. So that we might be saved. Jesus Christ died for you. Do you understand the depths of what Jesus did to purchase your salvation? You understand the gravity of what Jesus has done. Do you understand just the heights from where he came from and just how low he had to come in order to spare you from the judgment of God? That is the good news of the gospel. A message which is the power of God, and yet at the same time considered to be utterly foolish. Because while the world will run in, one, in, in a certain direction, to gain status and become much more honorable, Jesus ran in the opposite direction. 1 Corinthians 1.18 speaks of the, the foolishness of the cross. But I love it. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to who? to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, right through its secular wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and to Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is considered to be utterly foolish to the rest of the world, yet it is the power of God, then I will gladly preach that foolish message for the rest of my life because no other message is going to save anybody. Only the gospel is going to save. And so this was the honors race that Jesus embarked upon. That's a to such a low descent, but it also gives way to a great uh, ascent. The passage concludes, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. It is of great honor to be publicly honored by somebody whose honor is greater than yours. Right? It would have been unthinkable for somebody of great honor to give honor to a servant. So here is Christ, the servant of servants, the one who said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here he is, honored by the one whose honor is unsurpassable. And I don't think the idea is that he is rewarded. Christ earned it. But the idea here is vindication. That Jesus was declared to be right. That Jesus' work on the cross, that his entire work was considered to be more than satisfactory by God the Father. That God was pleased with the Father, and so God raised him from the dead, vindicating Jesus. Showing to the world that this was right. So we're thankful, right? We praise the Lord that Jesus' race did not end in humiliation. It didn't end with this disfigured face and a bloodied brow and his hanging on the cross and his dying, being buried in the tomb. No, it didn't end there. But his race ended with his being risen from the grave and exalted to the right hand of God. He's given a name. One way to think about that is when we say you have made a name for yourself, when somebody's made a name for themselves. The idea is public recognition. He's given a name above every name, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that name. And it's not that Jesus is ascending or has ascended to a higher position than he's ever had before. But the idea is that he now has a new reputation. Before, he was reigning as the Son of God, as God himself. But through his work on the cross, he now reigns as the God-man. He now reigns as God incarnate. He now reigns as Savior. And with that comes a new reputation and the effective universal dominion that comes with that reputation. 
the passage concludes that it is all to the glory of God. All for the worship, the praise, the honor, the splendor, the worth of God the Father. The work of Christ shows the magnificent worth of God the Father. All glory be to God. Now, if you are following in, if you happen to be following along in the bulletin notes that are in the inserts, the very last one, so point two, ver, point two C says, set your mind on humility. Scratch that. Instead, set your mind on the gospel. Humility is important. I mean, we're commanded to have this mind among ourselves, and it's referring back to what it said, what was said before. For the past couple of weeks, we've talked about these exhortations, these imperatives, or these commands. In the scriptures, that's telling us to strive together side by side for the faith of the gospel. We talked about how important it is for us to be of one mind, how important it is for us to walk in unity, to maintain unity, to be eager in, uh, to maintain that unity. That's all incredibly important. And there are other imperatives that come as we continue through the letter of Paul to the Philippians. But none of it really matters unless it's all grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. without the gospel, all we're doing is just being legalistic. Without the gospel, all we're doing is just being pragmatic. We're not looking to be pragmatic for pragmatic sake. We're not looking to be united just for being united. But we're looking to do these things because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That passage there, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, is the most important part in the entire letter. I mean, this is what, this is the glue that that holds everything else together. If you lose that, if you lose the gospel, you lose everything else. Nothing else really matters. The most important thing about you is the gospel. The most important thing that has ever happened to you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else trumps that. There's no moving past that. There's not going to be another message that's greater than the gospel. The gospel is it. And so, set your mind on the gospel. Think about the gospel. When was the last time you just spent some time just thinking about the gospel? We spent the last, I don't know how long I've been up here now, 30 minutes, 35, I have no idea. But we spent however many minutes thinking about the gospel. That's what this passage is about. The passage is giving us the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what our lives are all about. Whatever distractions might be in your mind today, and they might be, they might be important things. No, but my job, essentially, is to be an audible reminder week after week of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we always need to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. thought about even just your own salvation. I was reading something earlier this week, and I couldn't help but think about the gospel. I couldn't help but just be feel overwhelmed that I know Jesus. 
I just talked to somebody yesterday that had something wonderful happen to their life, and I couldn't help but think about the gospel. It's just how, how good God has been to this person. It's not about prosperity. Believe me, I'm not a, uh, and I think you know me well enough that I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher. But man, God is really good. God is good to his people. Have you ever just sat and reflected on your gospel? Where would you be right now if you did not know Jesus? What would your life look like if you did not know Jesus? God is so, so, so good. The gospel is so, so good. So if you have been distracted, so many things happen in your life. You need the gospel. You've been struggling with sin in your life. You need the gospel. You're having trouble being patient. You need the gospel. If you're enduring a trial in your life right now, if you're suffering, you need the gospel. The gospel is the answer. The gospel is always the answer. a message that we never, should never get tired of or ever get bored with. Friend, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you just heard of the gospel this morning. Trust in the gospel. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn your life to the Lord. Confess your sins to God and he will save you. He will forgive you of your sins. Give you eternal life. Go to him. I'd be more than happy to talk with you, to know what the, to help you understand what that looks like. But even just think about it. Think about the message you've heard this morning. As I said before, even for us Christians, right, that's still that's an exhortation for us as well. Make an effort to set our minds on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Titus tells us to have the mind of Christ. In, the, in, the, in Jesus, we see this example of humility. Follow that example, right? That's what we're called to do. But if you really want to have the mind of Christ, then set your mind on the gospel because the mind of Christ was filled with the very gospel. prayer and hope is that you would be encouraged that you would be giving maybe more hope than you had when you first came in you would have even just a little bit more joy at the thought of your salvation than you had before you came in this morning because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ who came to this world took on a human form lived a sinless life, was humiliated beyond anything anybody has ever experienced in all of human history, died on the cross and rose again so that you might be saved, so that one day you will be honored and glorified when you see Jesus Christ face to face. Let's pray.
Lord, we pray that that you might help us to have a greater understanding of the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. Lord, and may we also be unashamed to say that Christ died for me. It is a wonderful message, and it is such a personal message. May we embrace that message with our whole hearts. May we never tire of hearing the gospel. May we never tire of thinking about the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us and all that you continue to do to this day. Would you help our minds to be so occupied with the gospel? Would you help us to live out the gospel? May we look to the gospel, Lord, in just our greatest times of need. Not even just in our times of need, but every single day, Lord, we need the gospel. Would you help us to set our minds to it? Because we so desperately need it. It is the power of God for those who are currently being saved. We pray that you would save us. Continue, Lord, to help us as we pursue you, as we look to the kingdom of heaven by continually grounding ourselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship one more time, church, all together. As a response to today's message, um, let's worship. Let's worship our Lord. Sing together, Man of Sorrows. Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed the sin. of heaven. Scent of heaven, God's own son, 
Father, you are worthy of our praise. that that we may find a deep joy in Christ we just sang oh that rugged cross my salvation where your love poured out over me we sang that our souls cried out hallelujah praise and honor unto thee So, Lord, with that, I pray, Lord, that we may find a deep joy in Christ, in knowing the gospel, in believing the gospel, in trusting in the gospel, in thinking more about the gospel. God, help us to set our minds in the gospel, Lord, day in and day out. And may you remind us, Lord, of who we are in Christ. Your church worships you today, Lord. May you have been honored today in all things, through song, through your word, and in spirit and in truth. And God, we love you and we praise you. And in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, God bless you. You are dismissed. This is the message, Sunday Praise. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. And you have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. so, so kind to me. Oh.
your fault, steal your love far from me. And you have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worse, you paid it all for me. And you have been so, so kind to me. Shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Coming after me. Snow wall, you won't kick down. Lie, you won't tear down. Coming after me.
Sunday Praise, Sirius XM, The Message.
believer in Christ will receive a well-done, good and faithful servant at the end. And the reality is that it's not because of how good or faithful we were. It is because of Christ's faithfulness on our behalf. That's the gospel. Remember today, this is Sirius XM, The Message.
Mr.